Today, we're speaking with James Katz, founder and CEO of Humankind Investments. He's talking to us today about how close we are to a cleaner electric grid, thoughts on the first 100 days of the Biden-Harris administration, and the future of divestment and exclusion-based rules. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So before we get started, tell us about what makes Humankind's quantitative approach unique. Sure. So at Humankind Investments, uh, we do a lot of work into, and we do a lot of research into how all these different socially responsible concepts relate to one another. Um, and that's something that I think is quite different from what happens in many other um, research shops. So very often, I think you would have a client come and say, oh, you know, I don't like tobacco. Can I have a portfolio of tobacco? And you'd say, okay, great, sure, here you go. Um, or another client might say, oh, I really care about climate change. Can you give me a portfolio that, that relates to that? Um, and manager could say, yeah, sure, I, I can do that. But how many managers can, can even try to answer the question, how many cigarettes smoked equals one ton of carbon emitted? So just to give you know that basic example, that's, a, that's what we're trying to do at Humankind Investments. We're spending a lot of time trying to make these different issues comparable. And we think that that provides a, a pretty big benefit because very often, I think clients are even confused from the start about trying to figure out which issues should be prioritized in a socially responsible portfolio. And if we can't make these different issues comparable, we can't have an answer as to which issue is sort of more important than another or how they should, they should be weighted um, in a portfolio. So what we do at, at Humankind Investments is we try to put a dollar value on every impact that a company has on humanity. So we look at value for investors, value for employees, value for customers, and value for society. We try to put a dollar value on all these different impacts of profits, economic concerns, but also the value of human life. And you know, are these products making people sick or are there byproducts of, of the production process that are maybe polluting the air, causing increased medical bills for, for whatever reason? So we try to put a dollar value on each of those different impacts. We add them all up. And then for each company, we end up with what we call a humankind value which is meant to represent the total value that a company creates for humanity. Um, and then we, we weight the, the companies in our portfolios on that basis. So when you're doing that work, are you using, say, the GRI framework? Are you using SASB standards? Is this completely proprietary? How does that, what do you take in in terms of those external frameworks and standards versus what you're doing that's very unique to you? Um, it's pretty proprietary. So we, we look to the scientific literature to see what, the the researchers have found in terms of the impact of all these different issues. So there's all kinds of research on different economic and social impacts of, say, climate change, tobacco, breastfeeding substitutes, wage theft, you know, you, you name it. We, we kind of put we put a dollar value that that in part comes out of what the scientific literature is saying. So we try to find the most cutting edge scientific research. We look at the impact that, that scientists have found, and then we try to make we have to do some additional processing so that the issues can be made comparable. What we find is after having done that work, you end up with something that I think is, is really, really unique. Great. And I know, obviously, comparability is a huge tenant, very important tenant, especially when you're looking um, at an industry, making sure that the measurements, the metrics there are comparable. Let's talk a bit about um, your thoughts about exclusion divestment. Many investors are of the belief that it works better to really partner with companies to understand what 
their strengths are, understand what their plans are, as opposed to divesting or using exclusion-based rules. What are your thoughts there? Do you tend to lean toward one or the other? Do you think it's very situational? Sure. Well, I would say if if a company, if an investment manager say they have their hands tied by a particular mandate, they can't, they really just can't divest. Certainly voting the shares and, and engaging with the company is the only thing I think that you can do if you want to try to push some sort of socially responsible agenda forward. And I think that's better than nothing, certainly. But but I do think that like by holding a lot of these companies' uh, shares, it could be that progress is being slowed. So in many cases, what we find in our research is that there are certain companies that have a, a net negative humankind value, which means that on the whole, they're essentially destroying value for humanity. That means after we take into account all the good stuff, the profits, um, employee salaries and benefits, and, and even the value of the products and services to the extent that those are positive, at the, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we, we, we crunch the numbers in it when we've determined that every year value for humanity is being destroyed. So for a company like that, uh, it's kind of hard to justify holding um, th- those shares if you can if you can divest. And I think I think that if if the CEOs of these companies see that their share price is dropping because people are divesting, there there may be an additional incentive to there to actually get the company to 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 really you know enact change in in a much in a much quicker way than a sort of more diplomatic engagement might otherwise. So do you think that companies who have plans to definitely have a definite plan for making um, a change transitioning by 2040, 2050. Is that a quick change in your in your mind in terms of how a company, particularly a large or a global company, could make a change to their climate objectives? Oh, man. Well, so I, I, have, I have thoughts on this. I think the metaphor that I would use here is imagine you, you're living in a, a suburban um, environment, your neighbor is is dumping trash into your backyard. Um, every day, your neighbor comes over and dumps their trash into your backyard. And you, you tell your neighbor, hey, can you can you stop that? And the neighbor says, I pledge by 2050, I will be able to completely stop throwing trash into your backyard. Not apples and oranges? Not <laughs> apples and oranges, James? <laughs> uh, not, no, well, I mean, hey, if, they're, if they're giving apples and oranges, I wouldn't be so upset. But if it's trash, then we, then we have then we have a problem. I mean, I think, you know, I do think it's comparable in the sense that we, the, the companies that we're talking about very often are sort of dumping trash into our air, right? Sort of into our lungs, into our food, uh, into the products um, that, that we purchase, right? These are things that are happening on an ongoing basis. I think it's just that we're not, you know, normally I think we wouldn't expect a neighbor to dump trash into our backyard. So that feels kind of, you know, kind of like a, a surprising thing. But should, I think we should be surprised when companies sort of do the same thing to us. I think we think we should, that should be a very displeasing and upsetting experience, just as just as upsetting as it would be if our neighbor was dumping trash into our backyard. So so I think that we should be holding companies to a higher standard. Look, I think if they're setting a goal, that's better than nothing. But I think they, that they should really try be they should really be speeding up these timetables significantly. Speaking for myself, I guess I'm not interested in having trash dumped into my backyard for the next 30 years. Very good. Very good. I know that um, goals have been very important, not just for the corporate sector, but also for the government sector, specifically as we look back over the first 100 days of our um, new Biden-Harris administration. How do media perceptions of corporate behavior impact a company's performance? A new offering from Refinitiv is Market Psych Analytics a tool which analyzes corporate sustainability-related news and social media in near real time. By filtering through a vast collection of news and social media content and analyzing articles about environmental impacts, sustainability, and government stewardship, 
The complex AI engine measures emotional and financial language. So users can look over time to see the negative and positive swings of assets. The data is published every minute, every hour, and every day. To learn more, visit Refinitiv.com. And there's been a lot of conversation about electric grids, um, electrification, electric vehicles, EVs, including infrastructure build out that would really support having more EV stations. In terms of the progress that we've seen to date with the electric grids and the cleaning, cleaner electric grids, would you say that we've made tremendous progress and you can use the same trash in the backyard analogy? Um, or, or would you say that we are, from a government perspective, a public perspective, falling behind in the way that you've just communicated that the corporate leaders in some cases are falling behind? Um, I, from, a, from an electric grid perspective, I think there's a lot more work to do. Some of the shortcomings of the renewable energy sources that we're hoping to rely on are that they can kind of, um, they can be unreliable in certain aspects, right? The wind isn't always blowing and the sun isn't always shining over the uh, you know, wind, wind turbines and, and solar plants that, that we'd like to use. Having major investment into um, an electric grid that could actually store this energy um, when it's not being, you know, when when it's not being used could actually then allow the sustainable energy production sources to be, to actually work for the whole country in the sense that even when the sun isn't shining, if you've stored enough solar energy, um, you can then tap into that storage during times when, let's say, the sun isn't shining, or if you've stored a bunch of wind energy, um, you can then tap into that energy when the wind isn't blowing. And, and But that does require a huge infrastructure investment. And I think the Biden administration is doing the right thing, at least by talking about it. I, you know, I think it still remains to be seen to what extent um, this, this big infrastructure investment is actually going to happen. And do you see that there is a role for the demand? So, you know, you talk about there's a need for it, but do you think we are educated enough as investors and even as retail investors as well, as well as institutional investors? Are we educated enough on what needs to happen to really demand those things at this point? Well, my, my, uh, my dad always had a saying, which is uh, like, for better, there is no limit. So, you know, I'm sure we could we could always do better in terms of advocacy, spreading the word, education, getting people to, to understand what issues are at play here. So, yeah, I, I would I would certainly say that there's room for growth in that in that area. But it seems to me like there's been certainly today more so than ever, as far as I, as far as uh, I can tell, much more support for this than I've ever seen. So I think we're on the we're on the right path, um, but hopefully we'll we'll get there sooner rather than later. Great. And in terms of really making this relevant, the need for a cleaner electric grid, I know that the cryptocurrency space has been just seeing tremendous energy lately, if you will, in terms of the um, roller coaster ride. I would love to get your thoughts. We talked about how the crypto space could really benefit from um, this cleaner energy grid. And so we'd love to get your thoughts on how the two, um, how does that happen? Just talk us through how that happens. Sure. Well, the, the big issue um, with cryptocurrencies from a socially responsible perspective is that they, they take a lot of energy to, to conduct the transactions that, that they need to do to like work as a decentralized currency. So Bitcoin currently um, uses massive amounts of energy. And because the energy grid is, is dirty still, right, we're just dependent on fossil fuels significantly um, for, for our energy. That means that using Bitcoin, let's say, instead of the traditional financial system, would be a step down from a sustainability perspective, because we would be using much more energy to conduct all of these transactions. 
there's there's all these you know Bitcoin mining operations that take so much energy to to solve these problems that then show kind of this proof of work that means that these transactions are secured and that people cannot trade um, bitcoins and have them sent around the world. That that computational spend is so energy intensive that in many that really anything that's super energy intensive when you're coming off of a dirty grid is, is sort of less sustainable than something that takes less energy. So cryptocurrencies as compared with the traditional financial system, it seems, is currently less sustainable, which actually I think Elon Musk realized that just this past weekend when he made the announcement that he would no longer be accepting Bitcoin mm. uh, because because of the climate concern, despite him actually having been a big booster of, uh, of cryptocurrencies in general. So such great information here, James, from really talking about holding corporates accountable um, and your analogy about trash in the backyard. Very interesting, as well as the um, heading in the right direction around educating ourselves, educating each other around the benefits of cleaner electric grid and, and making the demands, as well as how it impacts very relevant topics like cryptocurrency. James Katz, Humankind, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.